last month, by God's grace, I was able to have five sessions on the fruit of the Spirit during the Sunday school hour. And we got to the fourth of the nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. Today we come to the fifth one. Uh, I've chosen to preach through the remaining ones in the afternoon services where I will be preaching. So today we will be considering the fruit of kindness. Let's read from God's Word that section of Galatians 5 that uh, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And then I'll also request that we read Ephesians chapter 4 after we read verse 13 to 26 of Galatians 5. So Galatians 5, 13 onwards. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you'd want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And I invite you also to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read from verse 31 into chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians 4. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That again is a reading of God's word. All of us are like grass at our best, we are like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but God's word abides forever. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Imagine how the concept of Christian kindness 
would reframe what has now become an all too common scenario. One Christian posts his or her opinion on social media about a topic. Could be a controversial topic, it might not be a controversial topic, but a topic. Another Christian responds negatively, not only disagreeing with the view presented by the person who posted the, the opinion, but also questioning the person's character. The inflammatory comment presents the brother or sister with a dilemma. Do I issue a kind-hearted clarification? Or do I fight back? Now that he has shared a piece of his mind, do I also share a piece of my mind? And against this backdrop, sinning in our words towards one another takes a very dark hue. Things become very subtle. Sinful speech becomes very easy to rationalize. Sinful actions in our heart or expressed becomes very easy to rationalize. We become motivated by truth. We tell ourselves, I'm motivated by truth, not by enmity towards this person who is opposing me. And we tell ourselves, this issue demands a report, a response. Its importance calls for confrontation. We must be bold. We must be bold because so much is at stake, we tell ourselves. And dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, indeed, truth demands clarity. But before we appeal to righteous anger, before we cite our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ turning over tables in the temple, we ought to consider our reservation, our reticence towards being kind in such a situation. If we are hesitant to be kind to one another, in moments like this that test us. If we are hesitant to be kind when what we have received is the opposite, it may be, it just may be that we have more faith in brute force. We have more faith in muscular response than perhaps in the strength of our argument. Even worse, it may be that we believe in public shame than the power of the Holy Spirit. Our insistence on unkind responses demands that we answer the question. Do we really believe in Proverbs 15.1 that a soft answer turns away wrath? Galatians chapter 5 tells us that we are free. Brothers, we are free. Verse 13. But let us not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We must not be legalists, but we also must not be licentious. In moving away from legalism, let's not slide towards the other extreme of self-indulgence. We are told that the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience. Today we come to kindness. We have seen in previous times when we have looked at this topic that these attributes are described as the fruit of the Spirit. We are not dealing with personality traits here. We are dealing with something that only God can give. And when the Holy Spirit indwells a person, this will be a natural outflow of such a relationship where God dwells in us. So this is not an attribute. Kindness, Christian kindness, and yes, I do know Kindness is a thing we see a lot around us, even from non-believers, because of common grace. But this afternoon, in the amount of time I have, I want to zoom in on Christian kindness, the kind that will not be found amongst non-believers. Such is a fruit of the Spirit. And as we have said previously, the cause of this fruit is the Holy Spirit. And this fruit is comprehensive. It is one jewel with several faces. And when you look at it from this angle, you see love. This one jewel, when you look at it from this other angle, you see joy or peace or patience or kindness. One fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. It is comprehensive, and as we said previously, it is connected. You cannot cherry pick. You cannot say, I just want love, and joy, and peace, and I will pursue hard after them. But patience? No. Kindness? Uh, I'll pass that one. I'm on diet. We can't say that. We can't say that. They are connected. They are comprehensive. And yes, while it is the fruit of the Spirit, and we must rely on God and God alone, the God who is sovereign has been pleased to appoint means and he calls us to cooperate with him in the production of this fruit, to cultivate in various ways in the production of this fruit. But we do not deceive ourselves that our cooperation and our cultivation is the source of the fruit. Just like when we switch on the light, we do not think that the source of the light is the switch. Just like when we turn on the tap, we don't think that the source of the water is the tap. The, the switch and the tap are means, but they are not the source. God, in his sovereignty, has appointed means to, for us to work with him so that as he works in us, we see this beautiful fruit in display. Kindness, then. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Knowing the fruit of kindness is a thing we need to do. What is this fruit? Perhaps we start with what it is not. This fruit is not the same as sentimentality. Biblical kindness goes far deeper than being sentimental. In the scriptures, this fruit, this Christian fruit of kindness is one that mirrors the character of God. Throughout the Bible, God is variously described using this adjective, this, this, this word kindness. God is variously described as a God of Great kindness in Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 8. He is the God of great kindness. 
in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 8, we are told that his kindness is everlasting. And we are told in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 that through the display of his kindness, sinners are led to repentance. As we experience his kindness, he leads us to repentance. The theme of God's unrelating kindness is pulsating throughout the Bible. And it does so with increasing intensity. The more you read, the more you see it. We see it displayed in the desires of man, as Joseph says, please remember me and be kind to me, as he speaks to the cupbearer and the baker. We see Rahab making the same request. Please, when you come, remember me and be kind to me. We see it as a human desire. But we see it as a thing also that God enables human beings to display. Think about David asking, is there any descendant of Jonathan who is alive that I may show him? the kindness of God. And Mephibosheth, the cripple, experiences this kindness. And one almost hears Mephibosheth crawling through the hallways of the palace. As David says, we are not going to start eating supper until Mephibosheth sits down. Or whatever uh, tool he would use to walk that's the sound of it, and you know Mephibosheth is on his way to the dinner table, and we will wait for him until he sits down with the rest of us as a lifestyle that marked out the household of David in the palace. God is even poetically described in Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, the God who leads his people with cords of kindness, with ties of love. These cords of kindness are here being portrayed as stronger than steel, stronger than a powerful magnet. God's magnetic kindness is being demonstrated here and we see that aspect of his magnetic kindness in other dimensions in scripture. In outworkings of generosity that would transcend our comprehension. It is through God's kindness that sinful men and sinful women are enabled to stand before God, to stand before God acquitted of all their sins and covered with Christ's perfect righteousness. Titus chapter 3 verse 4 tells us, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. And the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared when it tabernacled, when it made an epiphany. God saved us. Moreover, this kindness of God empowers the trusting believer to be refashioned, to be refashioned radically, to be refashioned progressively throughout their life into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as if that was not enough, when we are glorified, 
at that ultimate restoration of the redeemed, God's amazing kindness, like a priceless trophy on display, will be permanently put forth for all eternity through the presence of you, dear brother, and you, dear sister, all of us who are saved in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us in verse 4 that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we are saved, and raised up with him and seated and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 7 he says, so that in the coming ages he might show something. What is God going to show in the coming ages? He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. How? In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has set this goal. That in the coming ages, he will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When Pastor Murungi preached in the morning about the best is yet to come, it is indeed true. The best is yet to come. Throughout eternity, you, the redeemed, will be a visible and compelling exhibition of God's unfailing kindness. You will be pillars in God's museum of kindness. Whereas all behold, they would see God's kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The point here is that Christian kindness is a thing that we receive from the God who is the possessor of kindness. Christian kindness is not merely an external change in manners. It is something that God does in our hearts. And that's where now we come to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read from verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Then he gives another command. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, as we are told, be kind to one another, the word tender-hearted is included. It does show us that what we are looking at here as we talk about Christian kindness is not merely an external change in manners. Christian kindness is tender-hearted. Christian kindness is not marked with, out with magnanimity in our outward actions, while on the inside, we are untouched. 
The idea behind tender-hearted is that our insides are easily touched. When you've heard something that hurt you, maybe your skin is a little scratched, that section of your skin is tender. It doesn't take a very hard touch for you to feel pain. Likewise, when your heart is tender, it is easily affected. It feels easily and it feels quickly. The person in need does not have to lead to lose five liters, or was it two liters of blood? Five liters, there would be no air. There would be no brother. They don't have to lose a liter of blood for you to respond. You are concerned. You are quickly and easily moved by the needs of others. And when you stop to think about it, this is a high command. It is a remarkable thing that the apostle is calling us to. Because you cannot just decide to be tender-hearted. It's not like a switch. It's not like a faucet. This is something that touches on a deep character quality. How do we become tender-hearted? How do we achieve this? Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How do we become tender-hearted? How can we be those who feel deeply and not just be superficial and unmoved? I think verse 31 does show us part of it. The whole context will show us, but think about it. As you read verse 31 and it says, let all bitterness, there is a passivity there. So let all bitterness and all these things be put away. So to let is to allow is to permit. There is a passiveness. Yes, there is an active thing we are being called to, but let's remember that ultimately, as I have said, time without number now, as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit, God must be at work in you for you to be able to truly demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Let's move to the second point. Showing kindness. Then I'll be able to talk a little bit more about how we may get to this place where we can be tender-hearted. It's easy to discuss about kindness. It's easy to have conferences on it and ponder about it. But it's not that easy to carry out. Do we not struggle daily to be kind, to be kind across the internet, to be kind across the aisle in church, to be kind across the dinner table at home, to be kind to the one using the pillow next to me who is near and dear to me. Yes, at the start of the marriage, kindness seems to be an effortless thing. In the early days, but as people know one another more and more, it becomes more difficult to convey. Cruelty and hatred on the other hand abounds in our society. The grain of our heart seems to be in that direction. 
towards selfishness instead of towards the selflessness that would be needed for one to be kind. We seem to gravitate towards being egocentric, towards being macho, that's rewarded in our society. And our society seems to have this misconception that kindness is the same as some sentimental softness and lack of conviction. But is that the case? The notion that kindness is weakness contradicts Christ's sublime teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Luke 6, 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. He doesn't even tell you what that reward will be. And God has perspective. He knows what's great and what is not great. So when he says your reward will be great, it will indeed be great. And then he adds, and you will be sons of the Most High. Sort of reminds me of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, of El Elyon, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, under the shadow of El Shaddai. He says, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Then he says in verse 36, Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Dear brothers and sisters, Christian kindness is not weakness. It is moral strength. Christian kindness, particularly in the teeth of adversity, can only be exercised by the morally strong. Those who have submitted themselves to Christ and in so doing have let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander to be put away from them along with all malice. Kindness can only be exercised by the morally strong. Kindness, the disposition of being considerate, gracious, and kind when we should be inclined towards selfishness or machismo or impatience can only be exercised by those who are morally strong. Kindness is an attribute that demands that we have faith in Christ, a faith, a faith that leads to courage, a faith that leads to integrity, a faith that leads to selflessness when we are tempted, instead of courage to be afraid, instead of integrity to be those who want to cut corners, instead of selflessness to be those who are selfish. Think about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. In pain, untold pain, 
physical and spiritual pain, pain that is beyond comprehension, on the cross, think about the Lord. Yes, in pain. Yes, suffering. And yet, concerned for the well-being of his mother. Who is this? How can you be going through all that? And you're talking to John about son, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. How? Think about Christ in pain on the cross and yet interceding for his enemies. Abba, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Think about Christ in pain on the cross and yet graciously dealing with the repentant thief. about us? How deep are we when it comes to being kind? Are our hearts tender? Or are they callous? What does it take for us to throw away kindness? Being broke? There's no money in the account, and everyone, including the pet, knows stay away. Even the dog sees you and just, just takes another path. What does it take? Being quarreled at work, and you come back home, and now everybody has got to also feel it. The pecking order has to continue. What does it take for us to lose our kindness? Christian kindness is not skin deep. The great physician of our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ, does a massive work in us. He takes out our hearts of stone, gives us hearts of flesh. This fruit of the Spirit does not flourish naturally in human beings. It is a supernatural work. And dear brother, dear sister, where you see it, where you assess your life and you see it in increasing measures, Thank God. Thank God, because it is not a personality thing. It's not your personality that we are seeing. It is God at work in you, through you. Extending kindness towards others, especially in the context of disagreement or hostility, comes with risks. It is fraught with peril. And as we extend kindness, we have many questions. What if my kindness is misinterpreted as an affirmation of the opponent's perspective? What if my soft answer is mislabeled for weakness? What if somebody thinks that the absence of anger, expressed anger in how I am responding to them is my discreet admission of their perspective? These things are things we, we, we genuinely have us concerns when we are extending kindness and risking in so doing. And they call for great wisdom. 
but I want to present a much greater concern than the concerns I have mentioned. There in Ephesians 4 verse 29, we are told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that should be for us a greater threat than being misinterpreted by human beings, by being than being misjudged by them. Yes, we must be wise. And yes, we must do things so that we are not dealt with wrongly. But our greater concern must be, I do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So what I am emphasizing today is this. When you fail to be kind to brothers and sisters in Christ, what we are doing, ultimately what we are doing is we are failing to trust God in this. We are failing to trust God in one way or another. Perhaps we are failing to trust God in terms of his power to change hearts. Perhaps we are failing to trust God with regards to the sufficiency of his word. If we are in Christ, we must not be controlled by our fears. As I've already mentioned, Romans 2.4 tells us that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. And we can trust in God that as instruments in his hands, the kindness he enables us to show others will lead them to repentance. We also need to see that the presence or absence of kindness in our messages, in our methods and mannerisms, does indicate the nature of our relationship with God. And I could wear you out with scriptures here. The Proverbs 31 woman in verse 30, we are told, she fears God. And one of the things that we see of this woman who fears God, Proverbs 31.30, is in verse 26, we are told, the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. We see kindness in her teaching. But we know ultimately the foundation of that is that she fears God. Likewise with Job's friends, in Job 6.14, there is unkindness in the way they dealt with Job. And Job tells them in Job 6.14, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Dear brothers, dear sisters, I am saying kindness flows out from faith. Not faith in self, not faith in our methodologies, but faith in God. I am saying that kindness is a horizontal expression of your vertical security. What we see in the expression of kindness or the withholding of it, tells us something about the nature of your security before God. We as believers are free to extend kindness to one another because God has shown us kindness in Christ. And yes, there are boundaries. And maybe I could take a minute or two to talk about some of the boundaries in showing kindness. 
So kindness and boldness are not antonyms. They can coexist. You can be bold and at the same time kind. So I'm not saying don't be bold. I'm not saying let's throw away Jude and his call upon us to make a defense for the faith that was once for all handed down to us. That's not what I'm saying. It's not that kindness and boldness cannot exist. But I'm also not saying that kindness and righteous anger or severity are synonyms. They are not. There are times when righteous anger or severity will be expressed and in so doing, kindness will be withheld. The very context here of Ephesians 4, is it in verse 26, tells us, be angry and do not sin. And in verse 31, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clear clamor and slander be put away along with all malice. So clearly there is a point at which anger will need righteous indignation will need to be displayed. And during such times, kindness may be withheld or expressed in less amounts than they would ordinarily be. But we must remember James's call to us. Pastor James says, be slow to anger. So we should be hard on the accelerator pedal towards kindness and slower towards anger. We must soft pedal anger and we must hard pedal kindness. A kind person can also be bold. A kind person will at times demonstrate righteous anger in obedience to the Lord. How do we know when to express one and not the other? Hard question. Be in the word. Walk in close communion with the Lord. Because the boundary here can be wider than we think and it can be narrower than we attempted to show. There are times when we may show kindness and the boundary of showing that kindness is so broad, it doesn't make sense. And then there are times when we need to act very quickly and demonstrate righteous indignation. How do we know? Walk closely with the Lord. Walk very, very closely with the Lord. Be in communion with him in his word, in places like this walking with other brothers and sisters, allowing yourself to be accountable to them, those things will help us. The scriptures calls us to speak the truth in love. And each component of that phrase there becomes very important. Ephesians 4 and verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. It's both. It's both a righteous position and a loving disposition. It's not either or both are God reads. Righteousness is my position. But my disposition, the disposition of my heart, is truth. We have no room for truthless love or loveless truth. It's got to be love and truth together. How can we grow in kindness? How can we grow in the fruit of kindness? As I look at Ephesians 4, I see two things. The forgiveness of God and the love of Christ. 
Verse 32 of Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Verse 2 of chapter 5, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave up himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So we see the kindness of God, which calls us to forgiveness, in the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also see the kindness of God that calls us to express love again as we see in the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. So forgiveness and the expression of love, both patterned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to draw close to the Lord and learn from him if we are going to grow in loving kindness. What do we see in the pattern of the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus? We see God's forgiveness as one that takes sin seriously. God is not flippant towards sin. He sees sin, he names sin, and then he covers sin. God forgives it, but he forgives what he hates. And we need to be like him. When somebody comes to us asking for forgiveness, we don't say it's okay. It's not okay. It is sin. But then we, having recognized the ugliness of sin, we can still be able to say forgiven and forgotten. And it is a done deal. And the person whom you tell forgiven and forgotten leaves that place with a deep impression that though you are hurt and you're still a convalescence, an invalid healing from the blows you received from their sinful actions towards you, they are forgiven as the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us. We know that forgiveness as a pattern here calls us to record the reality that there is a settling of accounts and that should be our attitude also. There is a settling of accounts. When somebody hurts me and I am kind towards them, they trust in the Lord that that kindness will be a tool in hand in the hand of God for their repentance, in which case then their sins will have been dealt with by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And sadly, if they don't repent, that the wrath of God would be on them. If they do not put their trust in Jesus, we recognize that forgiveness is not an escaping. Kindness is not an effort to escape from the reality that we recognize that there will be a settling of accounts. A day is coming. There will be payday someday. Either the sin is in Christ, dealt with on the cross, or the particular individual will have to bear the wrath of God. We need to see that the kindness, the forgiveness of God is costly. And ours too will be costly. It cost God his son. You imagine if Abraham was to drive that dagger into the chest of Isaac. That's extremely expensive. Very costly. Our kindness will be costly. It will be costly. It might cost you the sweet taste of revenge. 
it might cost you the, the pleasure of suffering a grudge might cost you the pride of coming across as the superior one in the situation. It will cost you. I don't know what it will cost you, but it will cost you. It might cost you time. Some people, by the time they finally ask for forgiveness, you're in your 80s. Forty years of your marriage, gone, cost you time, lots of pain. But as we learned in the morning, we know it's going to be better. The best is yet to come. Eternity will more than make up for the pain we experience here. God's forgiveness is real, and so should ours. So should ours. When we read as far as the east is from the west, that's the pattern. That's the pattern. As far as the east is from the west, so has God taken our sins from us. He has buried our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. That is the pattern. It is real and so should our forgiveness be when we are expressing either kindred kindness here or kingdom kindness out Finally, as we look at the love of Christ, we know as we look at the love of Christ, that it is undeserved. And so we should not insist that people must earn our love and our kindness. We know that the love of Christ is a thing we would never merit. And so let's hear Luke 6. Bringing out in our hearts, be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. But this love is also a holy love, and so should ours be. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, loves his church with a sanctifying love. And so this is not a call for us to embrace all forms of worldly notions and worldly happiness in the name of love. No, Christian kindness is not a strategy for avoiding conflict. Christian kindness is not a strategy for burying our heads in the sand when we should be lovingly confronting. But Christian kindness is patterned on the love of Christ, which aims to promote holiness. Finally, brothers and sisters, come close to the Lord Jesus Christ and see that the love of Christ was sacrificial, it was self-denying, it was a serving love, and so should ours be. So should ours be. Whenever we come through that door on Sunday, we should have our eyes open. Who needs help? What needs to be done? Who needs help? What needs to be done? Constantly you are asking yourself that question. Who needs help? What needs to be done? You look around and you see a second time visitor who's not gone to the visitor's table. And you remember your second visit. First visit, you are the visitor's table. Second visit, you are so lonely. You didn't know how to start a conversation. And you just felt like, you don't know, should I come back next week? And all the struggles you had. 
and you make a beeline and you just tap my shoulder because I'm a brother and you know me and you know I'm around and you tell me, Eric, please understand me. I'll still look for you. I'll call you on phone. And you make a beeline towards the visitor because he or she needs your attention at that time more than Eric. Let's not be those who are so wrapped up in ourselves. We make small packages because we are hugging ourselves. Come to church and make a decision. I will not go back home without serving someone. It could be a prayer. It could be a thank you. I don't know what it would be. It could be a handshake, but a, a hearty handshake, not like you're giving them a piece of wet fish for them to grasp. Let us be sacrificial. Let's deny ourselves. Let's be servants in the way we express kindness here. By our love for one another here, may the world know, may the world know that Jesus Christ came. May the world know that we are true disciples. And by how we treat the world out there, may the world know that we are different. There is something that God has done in our hearts. May the Lord bless you. Let's kindly pray and then we will sing our closing hymn. Oh Lord, these things are easier said than done. Particularly when we are dealing with people whom we love and whom we know love us, when they hurt us, it is very painful. We are tempted at times to respond more harshly to them then we would even respond to our enemies. Please help us here within the brotherhood. Because we know we love one another and we know our brothers and our sisters care for us and love us. And they are committed to us. To show kindness, kindred kindness that would be Christ exalted. Oh Lord, help us not to be held in bondage by small things, little things compared to what you've gone through for us. Help us to see your mercy. And having seen it expressed towards us, having seen the commitment of kindness that you have towards us for the whole of eternity, Lord, help us to say our small thank yous by being kind to one another. O oh Lord, encourage those who have continued to do this. Help them to continue walking this path of Christian kindness, of letting their deeds so shine before men. for the glory of your name. Help us, O oh Lord, not to pursue kindness so that we earn the accolades of man. Our desire is to honor you and to praise you. And even if you do not give us any reward in return for our kindness, you still have given us so much and we would need to give much more kindness than we have given to express reciprocity. Oh Lord, we please pray for those who are in contexts where they are going through difficulty, particularly in dealing with either spiritual babes who demonstrate immaturity, that continues to hurt them over and over again, or those who are dealing with non-believers, non-believing spouses, or children, or parents, or colleagues, that their kindness would be known to all. That, Lord, you'd give them a persevering kindness that is patterned after yours.
Anoint them afresh, O Lord. Anoint them afresh, O Lord, so that they would not be overcome by evil, but that they would overcome evil with good, always remembering that vengeance is yours. Our desire is not that our enemies would know your wrath. We pray for them, that, Lord, instead, you would use the kindness you express to them through us, to lead them to repentance. We please pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.